There's three things on this earth that are hard to say. I love you, I'm sorry, and Worcestershire wash, 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 sauce. Worcestershire wash, 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 sauce. Okay, I know that's not the most original thing, but hey, welcome and welcome to another episode of Project Killing Sin. I hope this finds you well. Um, today, 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 we begin a four-part series on an interesting theme. <laughs> Obviously, it's all hope, if you don't know by now. Uh, but before I get into that, I just want to check in and make sure that you recovered from last week's episode. Um, <laughs> I don't know about you, but it was quite intense. Um, it was quite entertaining. I loved it. I loved it so much. And I cannot thank my guest and friend, personal friend, Tugiwayaki, for just coming through with the facts, coming through with the jokes, coming through and just showing us what it really takes um, in friendships. And I want to build up on that um, and kind of dive into this brand new series. And for those of you that listened last week, I know that you picked up on some of the things that we're going to be discussing. And I know that you're excited for them. Well, I, I, I hope you are, because um, I am. I really, really am. And as I was kind of structuring all these things, uh, thinking of how to, how to kind of best uh, approach them, how to talk about these issues and these topics and breaking them down in a, in a way that will be um, easy to absorb and also easy to meditate on and easy to go back and do your own research or just kind of have a self-reflection on, same as meditate. Um, I found that this will be the best way. <laughs> and there is uh, the famous episode that Tugi kept, kept insisting on, which is about judgment. And unfortunately, that's not going to be anytime soon, but I guarantee you it is coming and it is going to be amazing, amazing, amazing. Today, however, building up to that eventually, we're going to begin this four-part series, this four-part conversation on what I've simply titled, I Hope. I hope. Every week we'll be talking about a hope that I have for you, a hope that God has for you, a hope that the scripture has for you, in the hopes that you will grow in that hope <laughs> um, and you will continue to um, just just, like, just be in it, you know, because hope, th this thing, this thing that we call hope, and I, I, I would love to think that I fleshed it out really well in episode one and that we, we like dove into it even better in episode two. Uh, but this, this thing of hope, it's, it, it, it's a very fragile topic, but hope in itself is a strong, strong thing. And for a lot of us, we have just been going through the most. Life has hit us left, right, center, up, down, and it's just intense. It's crazy. And so, hence this four-part conversation. And today, the hope that I have for you, uh, and I hope that you have your pens with you, uh, it's because 
that's going to be quite an interesting conversation. Uh, but anyway, enough teasing. I hope, I hope you remain. That's the first one this week. I hope you remain. Now, um, there are a few things in this world that are very hard to say. And yes, I love you. Yes, I'm sorry. But another very difficult thing to say, particularly in the Christian circle, young adults, um, is I'll remain. Um, we're living in such a fragile society where everyone gets so easily offended. And the moment that you feel offended, not necessarily with any proof, but if you're emotionally offended, uh, which is what is the case for a lot of the uh, scenarios that we see play out on social media. Uh, someone just feels triggered. That's the, that's the buzzword. Triggered, offended. When you feel offended, you don't remain. You don't remain anywhere. And, 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 and that has been kind of the, the, the order of the day. It's like, it's all about leaving. It's all about stepping out of a space. It's all about escaping this toxic X, Y, Z. It's all about not being in this space because it has quote unquote bad energy, bad vibes. Uh, it's all about not remaining. But today I want to talk about the hope that is found in remaining and it's going to be quite like it's it's going to be uncomfortable as as you know by this point you know that project killing sin is is a very uncomfortable listen uh but I need you to understand that it is equally as uncomfortable to speak to you guys because I am not perfect so some of the things actually if not all of the things that I speak to you are things that I have gone through and things that I am currently going through and as I speak to you it is kind of uh, I'm holding up a mirror to myself as well and not just seeing what is actually wrong with me or seeing the things that I need to correct here and there. But especially um, the most important thing with this mirror that I have held up is so that I can see the inconsistencies and take it back, back to God in humility because he is the only one that has the power to sustain, that has the power to restore, has the power to fix and fix and make it even better than it was brand new. So we're going to dive into it. Um, and I was saying that I hope you have your pens. I hope you have your writing pads because hope in remaining is, oh, yeah, it's going to be something. So here's how I did this. Um, I split this into five sections. Um, each section is a statement that I hope you remain in. Um, and... <laughs> Uh, again, it is my hope that by the time we get to number five, uh, life will be changed, perspectives will be changed, and we will be in this brand new space where as we kick off this four-part conversation, it leads us into deeper, deeper understanding of hope and above all, deeper understanding of God and who he is. So yeah, um, that's the first, that, that, like, that's it. That's the housekeeping done. Now, here we go. I hope you remain. The first one, I hope you remain in. I hope you remain in, number one, the inconsistencies. Um, man, this one is speaking to me. And it is my hope that it is speaking to you. I don't know. Is there another word for hope? Because I feel like I'm going to be saying this word so many times. Um, it's my belief. <laughs> it's my... 
Oh, no, I don't know. I hope. I hope you remain in the inconsistencies. Now, English is probably not going to English to a lot of people here, uh, but it's not saying that you that you remain inside the inconsistencies, but you remain despite the inconsistencies. So, um, yeah, actually, I think that's what I should say. I hope you remain despite the inconsistencies. Um, yes, actually, that that is how it's supposed to be. That is simpler. So I hope you remain despite the inconsistencies. And when it gets to inconsistencies, um, the verse that I want to read off of from and just have a conversation about this is Proverbs 24, verse 16. And the verses I'm going to read today are verses that we all know, but I'm hopefully going to have... Um, to like I my hope is that I can break them down deeper and just give a better understanding. So Proverbs 24 verse 16 it says um the godly may trip seven times but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. See the power that enables us to get up again. That is the difference between believers and unbelievers. The power that is behind us getting up again. I I read this verse and I marvel at this, um, you know, the godly may trip seven times. Seven, number of completion, perfection. Is it perfection? Is it completion? Number of completion. Yeah, the number of completion. It is, it is this, like, it. if you kind of think about this verse, it says that, man, you could fall until you feel like, man... <laughs> I've com- like I am completely deflated. I I have reached the epitome of kind of failure. Like I don't know if you can relate to this, but there are failures that we face. There are these trips, these falls that we get into and we are beaten down so much that we are convinced this is who we are. That we are convinced that yo I've tried everything. You've tried everything, tried therapy, we've tried accountability, we've tried medication, we've tried behavior modification, we've tried even hiding it at times and just wallowing in it. But even then, the fall is hard and it leaves marks. Man, we're just a few minutes in and I'm already feeling it. The inconsistencies can be such a damning place to be. And the reason I put this as the first um, hope that you, that I hope you remain in despite uh, is because this is where a lot of us give up and give in. This is where the devil really thrives, in our inconsistencies. He comes in and he says, yo, listen, there's no difference between you and... There's no difference between you and the, un- and the non-believer. You might as well give up. And you see, this is what the devil does. He gives us a half-truth. Because yes, there is no difference between myself and an unbeliever in my own power. There is no difference. So he comes and says that, but he doesn't complete that sentence. And we're going to dive into this later on in the next few statements. He he doesn't give the full truth because, yes, there is no difference between myself and, un- and an unbeliever except the power that enables me to get up when I fall. The power that enables you 
to get up when you fall. That is the difference. And that is the biggest difference that could ever be because that power is God. That power is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That is the power that allows us to get up no matter how many times we fall. This does not mean that we embrace the fall. It does not mean that we live in the fall. It does not mean that we get comfortable in the falling. Far from it, because we need to understand one thing. The bar is perfection. Jesus made sure that we understood this. The bar is perfection. That is the standard that has been put for us. It is be holy as my Father in heaven is holy. Be perfect. Be perfect just like Jesus was, just like God is, he, he set this bar so high so that when we look at it, it doesn't lead us to run away, but to actually acknowledge the power that helps us to stand up every time we fall. And that's a very important thing. And that's something that, I'm, that I am hoping to really drill into us this season, that even though we're dealing with new hope, what we're ultimately dealing with is wisdom. To know, to know and to apply that knowledge. Because if you lack the wisdom, new hope will never come to you. Even if it slaps you right in the face and tells you, here I am, you will not see it. See, the hope to remain despite the inconsistencies must come from knowing what the bar is. It is perfection and nothing less. And then knowing that we cannot attain perfection unless we are found within the free sacrifice of perfection that has been given to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus on the cross. That's the first thing. See, when when we when we focus on the bar, which is perfection, with the right wisdom, knowing that we do not attain that, but we walk in the power that has attained that, and we walk in it freely, all of a sudden, our goal is not to sin less. Our goal is to focus on the object of our faith. And as we focus on the object of our faith, all these things will be added unto you. The book of Matthew talks about this. All of these things will be added unto you. What are these things? It says, you know, seek, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. People always just think it's the material things. But what else is added to you? Sinlessness. Righteousness. The ability to walk with God and sin less. Until one day when we are in eternity and we are sinless. Completely sinless. The more we focus on God, the more we focus on Jesus, and the more we focus on him with the knowledge that the bar is perfection, and then we marvel in the sacrifice that he has given us, this sinks into our heads, it sinks into our hearts, and all of a sudden, it's not about the sin that holds us down, it's about the one who came and lifted us up. And that is Jesus, that is God, that is the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. It is the Trinity, and that gives us a new hope in our inconsistencies. And that's what I want to encourage you with today. And not just that, I want to go into the next part of this first statement, which is very uncomfortable because I hate it so much. I hate it so much. So we've talked about the bar. We've talked about the power that enables us to get up again. The next thing I want to talk about is oof, the knowledge of God. 
that far surpasses human understanding. And you might think, well, Izzy, that, that doesn't seem so bad, but um, what if the knowledge of God has allowed some doors that we've opened out of ignorance in our unbelief, when we were unbelievers, some doors, some things that we did, some words that we said, some areas in life that we were in, what if God in his ultimate wisdom has allowed the consequences of those things to follow us throughout our lives? What if he has said that I will not close this door, even though I have the power to, I will leave it open because this inconsistency will be a blessing in disguise. That really pisses me off because I, I'm a perfectionist. I, it's a toxic trait. I am a perfectionist and I want to be perfect in everything I do. I am learning to rest in the imperfections and a job well done, not a job perfectly done. I am learning with so much difficulty to not beat myself up so hard to the point where I discard every single thing that I've done, throwing the baby away with the bathwater in every single project. So this really, it irks me. It irks me because I, I keep thinking, in my attempt to fight sin, I want to kill it completely to the point where there is no sin in my life whatsoever. And the only way that my mind can internalize that, the only way that I can come up with that as a goal, is when I intentionally, intentionally think of sin as just a deed. So all of a sudden it's about, I'm not going to do anything wrong. I'm not going to do anything wrong. And then I will be sinless. Completely forgetting that I am sinless because I am found perfect in Christ and not because of the deeds that I do or do not do. And the moment we get out of this loop, we can begin to see the blessings in disguise in our lives. And it's so painful. Trust me, I understand it's so painful. There are things that God has allowed in our lives to dwell because he is going to use them ultimately. Ultimately, he is going to use them to bring us to submission to him. He's going to use them to bring a testimony to others, to encourage, to empower, but it hurts. Oh, it hurts. That door could be something, could be lust. That door could be mental health issues that were imposed, like that something that you went through either by your own bad decisions or something that happened to you. That door could be disease. That door could be, it could be a lot of things that, man, we know God has the power to change. We know that we have been given the ability to cross over, the ability to expel. We know, but God has said, this door will remain open, my child. And no one understands this more than Paul because he said, man, he had a thorn in his flesh and he prayed. He prayed, God, take it away. And God said, no, I'm so sorry. But no, because in your weakness, I will be your strength. In your inconsistencies, I will be your consistency. It's very interesting because I, I used to pray. I, I used to pray, God, take away, take away all these things that cause me to, to sin. And it's very interesting because um, the answer that I got was, if I take away everything that causes, causes you to sin, then I'll have to take you away. And it hit me hard because, you know, we're forever fighting to kill the flesh. And again, remember, I said the fight is not 
on sin is not to kill the sin itself, which is the aim of this whole podcast. We're, we're not, it's not project killing sin by doing better. It's project killing sin by focusing on Christ. And the thing that I've, I heard God say was, listen, my child, I could do all the things that you want me to do, but that would not bring you closer to me in relationship. That would turn this into a transactional thing. And trust me, if you want me to take away all these things and make it transactional, you cannot pay the debt that I demand. And that blew me away because I thought, (laughs) I really internalized it. And I said to myself, yo, if God, if I turn this into a transactional thing and I said, God, take away all my sins, And then God takes away all my sins and he says, okay, now you owe me a debt for the sin that has been taken away. How are you going to pay it? And the moment that sank in, I was like, oh no, oh no, I've been doing Christianity wrong. I have been doing this thing very wrong. And I settled into this space. And it's a very, very strange space because I have to acknowledge that there's some doors he has closed and I thank him for that. And there's some doors that he hasn't closed. And I should thank him for that because in those inconsistencies, man, I grew, I grew, I grew so much. For me, the biggest thing, the biggest door that I opened that did not close quite fully is lust. And I have struggled with that most of my adult life. I have fallen so miserably and I have gotten back up. But every time that I'm confronted by it, I go back to God because in that time of my weakness, he is my strength. And I think about the times that I prayed quite desperately, God, take this away. If he had, looking back in hindsight, with great difficulty, if he had, Man, I wouldn't have gone through the journey that I went through and I wouldn't have the story that I do. And I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't be on this podcast. This podcast probably wouldn't exist. This platform wouldn't be here and I would be the most lukewarm Christian. Now, that's not everyone's story. For some people, they come to God and he takes it away completely. But trust me, there are doors that he has allowed to stay open and you have to be, you have to know, you have to have the wisdom to be able to walk this tension because it is a tension. It's a tension between the doors that God has closed, the doors that he is closing, and the doors that he has said, this will remain open. This is what the Bible says when it's, when we, when we read and uh, when we read that we should come to him with arms wide open, accepting whatever he gives us because he is God. Well, I don't know if that's what the Bible says, but that's certainly the message that it teaches. Not to be tight-fisted, not to be white-knuckled coming to God, not tell him this is what I want and this is the only way that this can come to pass. And if this is not it, then I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn away from the faith. But God in his providence, in his knowledge, will use these things to keep us close to him. Your inconsistencies are an opportunity for grace. And how we get back up is a demonstration of how well we've received the gift of grace. And equally, how well we understand the urgency not to dwell in the inconsistencies. This is the tension I'm talking about. Where I can fall, get back up and say, God, I fell. I'm sorry. I know that you said I would sin. 
I am sinning and I will continue to sin, but I am made righteous in you. So I will not dwell in this sin. It is not attractive. Continue to show me your face. Let me fix my eyes on you that I may know what genuine love looks like. That if anything else comes my way that takes away my attention from you, I know better through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within me. It's an interesting tension because if you miss out on one thing, you turn legalistic real quick. Real, real quick, it all becomes about working to salvation. And then looking at others who are really struggling, who, are, who don't have the right footing and judging them wrongly. A wrong kind of judgment. Because as Christians, we are called to judge and we will get to that conversation eventually. But we judge in the wrong way. So my hope is that you remain despite the inconsistencies. In those inconsistencies, God is with you. God sees you, God loves you. The second one is, I hope you remain in, or rather, I hope you remain despite the doubt. Yes. And here, this is quite interesting. Um, as I was reading this, this verse, man, it really blew my mind. And I'm going to tell you why. So uh, I'm, I'm reading from John 20, uh, 24 to 26. And this is about Thomas, who is... Doubting Thomas, which is such a bad name to give a guy. <laughs> oh man, he did so much more. Why do we call him Doubting Thomas? He was one of the 12 disciples. Uh, but anyway, uh, John 20, 24, 26, and it says, one of the 12, one of the 12 disciples uh, nicknamed the twin. So in, in context, this is Jesus has um, appeared to his disciples and Thomas wasn't there. So 24 begins, um, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came the first time around. They told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. It goes on to... Um, give this account of how Jesus appeared and how he spoke to him. And in 29, it says, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's important, but that's not what I want to focus on in, in this section of I hope you remain despite the doubt. First things first, as a child of God, what does that mean? Born again, having Christ living in your life, being made right by him, not through our actions, not through our acts, not through anything other than the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Being a child of God, doubt does not make you any less. A child of God does not make you any less loved. It does not. Let that sink in. We doubt because life throws curveballs at us. And that is the devil, that is our flesh, that is the brokenness of this world. Those three things, they throw curveballs. And let me tell you, if you read your Bible, you will see that people had doubt. People had doubt. People that God called had so much doubt and made so many mistakes. But they were not any less children of God. They were not any less called because they were found in him. And that is the same for you. Life happens. But what determines how we turn that doubt back to God and use it to lean in deeper into him and have hope is what we do in that doubt. 
And that's something that I'll focus on in this particular passage that I've read. It's very easy to skim over, but in 26, it says, eight days later, the disciples were together again. Here it is. And this time, Thomas was with them. That's very interesting. See, Thomas remained. He remained. And that's what we need to do in the doubt. We remain. That's what we need to do in the inconsistencies. We remain. See, I cannot imagine how difficult it was for him. Put yourself in his shoes. This is a whole week of everyone buzzing about Jesus and the fact that, man, this, this dude came into the room, the doors were closed, and he came in. Yo, my guy just appeared out of nowhere. And he's like, yo, my guys, peace be with y'all. Like, oh no, it's Jesus. It's like, yes, yeah, me, what's up? I'm alive. Imagine that. That's that's a whole week. Imagine if it happened today and you missed it. Imagine the conversations online. Imagine it you would not, you would not not hear about it. It would be on everyone's tongue, and it was. And this can be an environment that could push you away if you do not have good rooting in the word, in the people around you. Because sometimes the doubt hits you out of nowhere. We're not told where Thomas was. We're not told what he was out doing. We don't know. For all we know, he was out doing something else that was completely legit. And life just threw this curveball and he missed this opportunity. But the one thing that he did, the one thing that we ought to do when we have this doubt is to remain. To remain. And he remained because we see he is, he is one of the 12 disciples. What does this tell us? Again, I don't want you to skip over this. The 12 disciples, he has seen Jesus. And, and, and that's very interesting. He has seen, he has walked with him. He knows what Jesus said about his death and resurrection, but he still doubted. But because he knew, because he had the wisdom, even in his doubt, he knew better than to walk away. And that's why I keep saying this season is about hope, but it's also about wisdom. To know And the only way that you can have this knowledge, this wisdom, is to saturate yourself in the quote-unquote off-season. That when it comes to game day, when it comes to the trials, when it comes to the missed opportunities, when it comes to the times when doubt rears its ugly head, you have saturated yourself with the knowledge of who God is and you know that even though I got this diagnosis, even though I lost my job, Even though I lost this relationship, even though I made this mistake, even though this was entirely my fault because of things that I have not dealt with, even though this was my fault because I dropped the ball, even though they hurt me, no matter what they did and I feel like I want to go, I will remain because I know God. I know the nature of God. I am his disciple. And he remained for a whole week and that paid off. And we see that. Jesus, he challenges him. He says, yes, you remain. Yes, you fought the doubt. But understand this. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. See, Jesus comes and he acknowledges the doubt. And he encourages him. He says, you've done this one thing correct. You have remained. And that is what has saved you. (laughs) 
because if you had left you would not have had this experience at all but he challenges he challenges him and says but now I want you to take it a step further and that's the beauty with God when he comes and that's why we we say this phrase you come to God as you are but you don't stay the same and if you go to any church any institution any gathering that allows you to remain the same or allows people to come and remain the same for the sake of convenience then let me tell you you need to run because that is not a space where god is thriving anyway that was you know just a side note back to this what we do in the doubt <clears throat> This doubt can be very troubling. It can be very very bad. <laughs> Let's be honest. Doubt can lead us to question the existence of God. Even when you have been walking with him for years and years and you have evidence of his hand in your life, you have the evidence of his hand in other people's lives. Life can throw a curveball at you so hard that you doubt all that just like we see Thomas did. But when you saturate yourself when you surround yourself when you keep yourself in the knowledge of who god is when the doubt comes you wrestle with it and what that wrestling can look like sometimes is wrestling with god and i i saw this quote it just it was so encouraging <laughs> and it depicted my life because i've dealt with doubt i have dealt with doubt i have doubted everything god has said over my life and everything that he has given me i have doubted that 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 he has truly seen the curveballs that i've thrown at him in my inconsistencies i have doubted that 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 he was that he was not phased by my sin i have doubted that he was not phased by the sins of others to me i have doubted it i have thought that man god must be on damage control with me because i doubted but i remained because i knew who god is and the quote that i saw was it it's it said to wrestle with god is to still be in his hands and this gave me the the a picture of this of what doubt looks like in a christian perspective the right kind of doubt is say god listen i i know you're there the knowledge and the wisdom that you have given me allows me to undisputedly declare that you are god but right now i don't feel like you're here in fact i don't even feel like you're real the circumstances that i'm in they they don't seem to align with the nature that i have seen and that i can vouch for and for that i am going to wrestle with this i am going to wrestle with this i will fight you because in my knowledge this is not how you're supposed to work but i am going to have my mind open because i know your nature so come through god not in an answered prayer per se but just show yourself in a way that the knowledge and the wisdom that i know can further be instilled in this in this in this situation in these situations wherever i'm at however many they are and that is what doubt should look like for the christian so i hope you remain despite the doubt here's the third one And this one uh it only gets more <laughs> triggering and it is I hope you remain despite the hopelessness. Ah oh, this one is quite interesting. Uh I'm 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 pulling this verse this scripture from Proverbs 13 verse 12 and we know this. 
Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. And I want to focus on a very specific thing. A word. Deferred. Hope deferred. But before I get into that, I just want to talk about the reality of this. Man, I have... Like, I tell you guys that this this whole journey, this whole, this past two years have been crazy. Man, it has been hopelessness after hopelessness. And I struggled. I have struggled to see God. I have struggled to believe God. I have struggled to believe the people that he has put in my life. And I have struggled with the things that he has put in me. I have even struggled with the healing that he has given me because I have been so hopeless that when healing finally came, when restoration finally came, I doubted it so much. One, because my inconsistencies seemed to be overwhelming. Well, they lied to me that they were overwhelming, (laughs) even to God. And that caused me to have doubt and doubt in the wrong way, and that caused a lot of hopelessness. And the reason I want to focus on this word deferred is because, man, I just looked it up, just a quick dictionary search. And the term, it blew my mind. The legal term for defer is for judge to postpone a sentence so that the circumstances or conduct of the defendant can be further assessed. And this was very interesting because to defer in this legal term is to delay a judgment is to delay a conclusion and that there has to be more time given for the case to be evaluated because there's new evidence that has come. And yo, let me tell you, I looked at what the devil is doing and I said, man, this is, this is why you kill. Like, oh man, this is why he is, he's so evil because what he he does, he comes into our lives and he convinces us of our, of a status that we do not have, of, quote, of, of your case, because everyone has a case before God. But for the Christian who has made righteous, I need you to understand your case has been assessed and there is no need for farther examination of the circumstances. The cross has taken your case and it has acquitted it. And Jesus has taken the blame for you. So there is no case. There is no deferring. But the devil comes in and he convinces us that our case has not yet been sorted because of the inconsistencies, because of the doubts, because of the hopelessness. He comes and tells you, listen, your case is still, your case is still ongoing. And I want you to know this, whenever you find your hope being deferred, remember that you are not under trial. Jesus took that weight. Jesus took that burden. He took your place and he said, have mine, be found righteous, be found perfect in me. And he didn't just take it and lived with it. He took it and he embraced it and he defeated it. So there is no case against you. 
The Bible describes the devil as the accuser of the brethren. What does he do? He comes and he says that your hope must be deferred. And he says this, he does this in, in your daily life, in every single thing that you do, in your work, in your relationships, in your friendships, in your personal life, in your public life. He comes and he says, this area of your life, your hope must be deferred because there is still an assessment of your conduct before God. And that is nothing but lies. The devil is the accuser. He's trying to convince you that your hope is deferred and make your heart sick, weak, and vulnerable. And the moment you get there, he swoops in and he makes us do the worst things. And then he traps us in vicious cycles that end up ruining us. But remember, Jesus has defended our case. He pleads for us with his blood as the evidence to God. Man, he's the high priest. Oh man, like he 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 is he is the proof that our hope should not cannot be deferred because that hope that we have in Christ, that hope has been given to us and it is not being deferred because that the, the circumstances and the conduct they have already been assessed. And we live on the receiving end of a free gift in grace, in righteousness, in perfection found in God. So I need you to understand that. I need you to really, really let that sink in. And this really blew my mind and it opened me up to rest in Christ. There is no further assessment. Whenever the devil comes at me and he says, oh man, look at this inconsistency in your life. Look at this doubt in your life. I tell him, listen, there is no further assessment. Bro, there is no further assessment. You need to tattoo this on your forehead. <laughs> there is no further assessment. And you need to say it even when people don't know what you mean. You know what you mean. There is no further assessment. You need to look in the situations that you're in that the devil is convincing you that this needs more that, that, that God is looking deeper into this and he is going to judge you at the end of your days. Tell him there is no further assessment. Christ has paid it all for me. My hope will not be deferred. My heart will not be sick. My dream will be fulfilled. What is the dream to be made whole in Christ? to be restored in him and to walk in eternity with him. It is the dream that has been fulfilled and it is a tree of life. What does that remind you of? A tree of life. It takes me back to Genesis. This is a complete side note, but like just as I speak it now, it's just hit me. A tree of life. That's the tree that gives eternity. That, that's the tree that gives us, that gives us, that, that, that God had to make sure that we don't eat of in our current state, otherwise we'd live in this broken state forever. But that is the tree that gives us life eternal. And the more I think about it, the more it blows my mind. I'm going to have to do some more research on that. But just off the top of my head, man, this, this is connecting some dots. I never knew I needed to connect. When I tell the devil, yo, there is no further assessment in my case. I am accepting that, man... God is for me. And before long, I will shed this flesh and I will eat of that of the fruit of the tree of life. 
and my dream will be fulfilled. Wow. Okay. I'm going to stop there because that has just blown my mind. Uh, I don't want to speak into it anymore until I do enough research on it. Uh, but yeah, it's, it seems, you know, the, 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 the Bible referenced the Bible. So um, the Bible confirms the Bible. So hey, truth, truth in that. Number four. Number four is, um, I hope you remain <laughs> despite the rebuke. Sheesh. I hope you remain despite the rebuke. And this is coming from, uh, just looking at my notes, this is coming from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, but we'll start from 14. And it says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they're true. And again, you know they're true. You have the wisdom. For you know you can trust those who taught you. You have the wisdom. You have the discernment. You have been taught by, you, you have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom, there you go, to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Then here's 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Can I get an amen? Wow. Rebuke is painful. <laughs> That's the start and end of that. Rebuke is painful. We will be rebuked. If you admit that you need to grow in Christ, and we say it all the time, Lord, let me know you more. Let me grow in you. If we admit that as Christians, then we must admit that we will be wrong. And when we admit that we will be wrong, we must admit that we will be called out. And that calling out will be rebuke. <laughs> Not always. But I've come to know that the deeper you get into God, there are things that have been hardwired into us because of the lives that we have lived, the upbringing that we have that cause us to have certain leanings certain kind of um, thought processes that can only be shattered through rebuke, not condemnation, through rebuke. Rebuke is the evidence of inconsistencies in our lives being ironed out. And I say this um, with, like, I, I hope that you listen to this with a lot of keenness, this next statement, that you must be careful with rebuke. Because it makes or breaks. Be very, very careful with rebuke. And how will you be careful with this? You must surround yourself. This takes us back to the uh, last week's episode with Tugi. You must be careful with the people that have with the people that you surround yourself with. You must make sure that they have demonstrated high discernment and understanding of scripture. That's why your best friends, your closest friends cannot and should not be unbelievers because they do not have discernment that is of God and they do not have an acute understanding of scripture to give you rebuke, to rebuke you. And any attempt that they have will be condemnation. Any attempt that they have will be will be very will fall very, very short of the biblical standard because they simply do not know this standard. And if you hope to have growth in Christ, you must be rebuked because there are things within you 
that God must change and he must take away. And those are hardwired. And he says, this is the only way. There is encouragement. There is thanksgiving. There is, there is teaching. There is preaching. You will grow, you will grow in these things. But there are those things that God says, for this, I must rebuke. You must go through rebuke. And if you keep people that have not demonstrated high discernment and understanding of the scripture, you will be ruined. You will be ruined because God uses this to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's what the Bible says. Every good work. Let that sink in. Every good work. So every area of your life should be a good work to God. And if you have people in your life who do not know what good is according to the standard of God, then they will be rebuking you. They will be condemning you into doing things or away from doing things that would qualify as good work of God and into doing things that qualify as good work for man, good work for the flesh, good work for the devil, good work for the world. You must make sure that you're surrounding yourself. And the, the reason is of, of this is because rebuke causes a couple things. Oh, actually, it just causes two things. Either you will wrestle with rebuke or you will be sad with a rebuke. And in both of these cases, our guard is not on neutral. Your guard is either all the way up or it has it is all the way down. And you are either vulnerable or hard-headed. And I can speak for this. I have made mistakes in my rebuking that have cost me a lot. I accept that. And I have stories and stories and stories of that. But I have come to this place where I've had to learn that rebuke, I have to make sure that I am not in a state of wrestling and I'm not in a state of sadness because both of these things cause my guard to be either all the way high, like all the way up or all the way down to the point where I am manipulated, I am victimized, or I just see that I am better than anyone and everyone. The words that you hear all of a sudden in this state, they have a very heightened gravity. When you're being rebuked, Every single word you will hang on to. The people around you hold the power and you must make sure that their words will help you remain. How do you do this? By making sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that you can vouch for. People that have evidence of God living within them. Now I need you to understand one thing. This does not mean, I am not saying, surround yourself with church. Church is a good thing. Get that right. Okay, don't don't go saying that I told you not to go to church. I am saying that you must not confuse a church organization for the church body. There are churches that will rebuke you on the wrong standard. There are churches, organizations and people that will come and rebuke you and that rebuke will actually be condemnation. It will be a blame game. It will be anything but true rebuke. So I am not saying that every time your church tells you do A, B, C, that you must do it because that is your church and that is rebuke. No, remember, this is about wisdom and discernment. 
and this it's a very wide topic, but I need to just give this tidbit. Do not follow a church organization. Do not follow a church building. I'm part of a church. I have um, an organization that is Christian-based. I do not expect people to follow the organization. I do not expect people to follow my church. No, no, no. Above all, above all, I expect people to follow the word, to follow scripture. And that scripture in today's society, let's be honest, it is very damning when you see the philosophies that some of these churches have, some of these religious organizations have that claim Christianity. It is damning. And to think that people are trapped in that because they think that rebuke is always going to be right when it comes from the church organization is sad. So listen to me. Wisdom, discernment, know who God is. Know that we serve God first and then he has put the church, not the organization, not the building, the body of Christ. And when we know that, then trust me, you will be able to navigate effectively, not perfectly, effectively, this area of rebuke, of confrontation, of thankfulness, of encouragement, because there are some churches, some people that encourage the wrong thing. And if you do not have the right discernment, you get lulled to sleep with encouragement and praise. And before long, you have become the problem. And God is waiting to protect his own. And if you are against him, it doesn't matter if it's by ignorance or what, he will protect his own. And his own is not a church people, is not people in a certain church organization. That is not God's own. Get that right. His own is people who are unapologetically serving him, regardless of their denomination, regardless of their church. And that's what I want you to know. In rebuke, have wisdom. Surround yourself with the right people because when you're being rebuked, you're being told something that you do not quite understand. So you need to be able to trust that the people you've put in your life always have not just the best interest at heart. All your best friends have the best interest at heart, but people who have God's best interest at heart. And that's it for that. Number five, I hope you remain despite all the odds. Or rather, I hope you remain against all the odds. And this is just a very simple, very, very simple thing. Um, and it's coming from, from the Psalm of David, Psalm 23, and we know this. I'm just going to read it all out because I need you to hear this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me besides peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. 
and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. I hope you remain against all odds because God is for us. God is for you. God is rooting for you. God loves you so much. Like really, stop, like stop right now and just let that sink in. The God of the universe, through your inconsistencies, through your doubt, through your hopelessness, through the rebuke, he loves you. He loves you so, so much. He acknowledges you. He is not waiting for you to make a mistake so he can show up and punish. He is there with you. He cries with you. He's there. He sees you trying. God sees you trying. And he cheers you on. Do not let religion tell you otherwise. Do not let a church tell you otherwise. Do not let people tell you otherwise. The scripture is very clear. And the final thing that I need you to really internalize, if you're not going to get anything from this episode, first of all, that's a problem. Second, um, get this. God has no regrets when he looks at you. In the inconsistencies, in the hopelessness, in the rebuke, in the doubt, God looks at you and he does not have any regrets. He does not. God is not your earthly father, is not your earthly parents who, who, have, who are limited, just like we are with thoughts. And we have new thoughts occurring to us and we change our minds and all of a sudden we can regret things. God does not have any regrets when he looks at you. And I hope that you understand that. Because he loves you. He cares for you. And it's not just me that hopes you remain. But God hopes you remain. That's it for this episode. Um, first part of this very, very interesting conversation. And I cannot wait to get into the second part. Um, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be so, so amazing. And next week, uh, in the next episode, we're going to talk about the second one, which is, it's, it's, it's dope. It's dope. It's dope. <laughs> so I hope that you remain I hope that you listen, I hope that you grow, and I hope that you continue to find God. As you read scripture, as you go on with your life, that you may trace his hand all over you, all over your life, that he may, that you may be attentive to the places that he has shown himself. And in the places where you have felt that he hasn't been there, as you wrestle with that, my prayer for you is that he reveals himself and he comforts you because again, even in the wrestling, we are still in God's hands. See you next week. Love you all. Be blessed.